This morning, I went around like I was Will Smith and asked for announcements and nobody had any, except to welcome back all these ABC students. We are so glad that you're back. We're so glad you're here. Um, there will be a meal afterwards. Hang out with us. Uh, it's just it's good to see people back. So thanks for coming back. We're glad you're here. Um, all right. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 19. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You may be seated. Pray with me, if you would. Father, we are not in and of ourselves sufficient for these things. Whether it's preaching or hearing, and for all of us, God, living it out. So we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak. That your thunderous voice, God, would shake us, move us. Tear us down and build us up. And that you would be glorified as a result. And that we would love you and love the world and love each other as a result of it all. We ask for your help and expect it now by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, we're not going to make it through all of this today. Um, we're only going to work through uh, verse 13 just so you know that. And, and just so you know, too, this is the last message before the sabbatical. Um, September is sabbatical month. So this is not really a convenient passage to leave off on. But providence, right? We're not in control of all that. Um, so so we'll, this is going to kind of serve as a hinge between now and then. And we definitely will revisit this passage, part of what we go over today, and then the rest of what he read today uh, after the sabbatical. And there's all kinds of connections. And like I keep saying, all of these passages in Hebrews, it seems like the farther you go into them, the bigger they become. 
And it's just like doors just keep opening and new rooms. And I'm going, oh my goodness. And I really thought I was going to do 7 to 19 today. Well, it ain't happening, just so you know that. So a lot of what we've got to do today is something that I said we would have to do a lot of in the introduction message to Hebrews. We've got to do a whole lot of background and Old Testament work to do today to really understand what's going on in this passage. And that's going to help us set the stage for moving forward in this passage and then as we move forward into the rest of it uh, a couple months from now. So, so let's dig in. Uh, it seems like this just keeps happening. Our passage starts with what? It's usually either a but or therefore. Today it's a therefore. So obviously we've got to kind of look over our shoulder and see where we've been and what is being therefored here. Um, last week we were called upon to consider Jesus. And then we saw that Jesus was worthy of as much more glory than Moses as the builder of a house is worthy of more glory than the house itself. And to these Jewish readers, these young Jewish Christians that this letter or, or message is being written to, that had to just, I mean, it's just got to be foundationally shaking. Because Moses is the man. Moses is the man in the Jewish mind. God spoke face to face with Moses. God had incredibly high praise for Moses. But the writer of Hebrews reminds them, hey, Jesus is like builder greater than building type than, than he is to Jesus. So keep that in mind. Jesus is worthy of much more glory than Moses. Moses was a servant. Jesus is a son and the heir. And we, the writer said, are his house. And then we saw a big word, if. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And that thought, that if, really kind of sets the table for us today. Uh, we said last week that all of these warning passages, including this warning passage, occur in this honor and shame culture, and they're not meant to scare the readers. They're not meant to make us go, oh no, he's talking about me. I'm the one that's not going to make it. I'm the one that's not going to hold fast my confession. It's exactly the opposite. Okay? It, the point is this, those that hold fast their confession and the confidence in their hope are those who are truly born again. And so it's not, you better get your stuff straight. It's, hey, you better understand that when people fall away, it's because they weren't right. And that's exactly what we're going to see today. One of the, one of the greatest frustrations I have, especially with the book of Hebrews, is when someone takes these passages out of context and, and tries to scare people with them. It's not the point. The point of these exhortations, the point of these warning passages is to point us to Jesus so that we can rest secure in Him. Look away from ourselves, look away from our striving, look away from our trying to earn God's favor and look to Jesus who is the perfect representation of what it means to glorify God. So don't look at these passages and go, oh no, this scares me. Go, oh man, if it were not for grace, if it were not for Christ, there go I. So don't be scared by this. Be encouraged by this. Um, so if, when you see that word if, you're like, oh goodness. So we are His house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and boasting and our hope. Um, I lost my place. There we are. So we're, we're, we're trying to help through these warning passages to help show the dangers of the other side. 
The side where those outside the house don't hold fast their confidence or boast in their hope. So since we are His house, and since we are called to hold fast our confidence and boast in our hope, and are not to be like those who don't, therefore, He says today. Okay? So that sets the stage for our therefore. So therefore what? Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. Now stop right there. Okay? That's, this is... I say this all. This is really big. This is really a huge statement. Since we are called to hold fast our confidence and boast in our hope and not be like those who don't, so therefore God speaks. God has something to say in light of all of this. And He's about to quote a psalm. And who does He attribute this passage from the Psalms to? A psalmist? No. He attributes this psalm to the Holy Spirit. That's the doctrine of inspiration, right? Who wrote the Psalms? The Holy Spirit did. And so for the writer of Hebrews to say, as the Holy Spirit says, listen, some of y'all have grown up in church and you've heard the churchy words and you've heard the churchy phrases and inspiration and God wrote the Bible, well, it was written by men. And you hear these things and you don't stop and think about it. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is, look, pay attention. Because God is speaking when you're reading your Psalms. God is speaking when you're reading Hebrews. Hopefully, this is not Jason speaking. Hopefully as we read these words, God Himself is speaking. And the doctrine of inspiration, which again becomes a cliche to us, is monstrously huge. Because if thus saith the Lord, this is more important than what the talking heads are saying on the TV. This is more important than the blurbs and the memes and stuff you see on Facebook. This is God speaking. Amen. And it's wonderful. So, God Himself, God the Holy Spirit is speaking. And what He does here in this passage is He quotes Psalm 95 verses 7 to 11, which I'm going to jump to Psalms and read, actually read that passage in Psalms, then we'll come back to the passage in Hebrews. For He is our God, Psalm 95, 7 says, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, God says... I loathed that generation. And I said, God said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. You're like, you said I shouldn't be scared, but that's a little bit scary. And you're right. You're right. That's a lot to process. And in order to understand that, what's he talking about? What is Meribah? What is Masa? What are these things? Pushes us deeper into our Old Testament. By the way, this is your homework for the week. Exodus 17. Go home and read and think about and dissect and pray about and talk about Exodus 17. So the Holy Spirit in the psalm is referencing an event that occurred early in the Exodus when the Hebrews were coming out of Egypt. Not the Hebrews that this letter is written to, but the Hebrews who had gone down. We'll get to that in a second. So don't get confused. When we say Hebrews, we're talking about at this time, at the time of the Exodus. So we're going to have to look at Exodus 17. We're going to read verses 1 to 7. 
to get our context for all we need to look at in Hebrews today. So we're going into Exodus 17, and we're going to come out of Exodus 17, and we're going to look back at Psalm 95, and then we're going to look back at Hebrews 3. So you see, we just keep going in different doors and getting further up and further in. Praise God. So here's the Meribah account, Exodus 17, 1-7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Now, time out. You ever been thirsty? And I don't mean like, oh, no. I mean like, ah, look. I mean, blah, 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 thirsty. Not thirsty, but blah, 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 thirsty. There's a difference, right? Okay? Have you ever been, Steve, in a desert? Like literally, a desert? Where it's dry and there's no water? There's no water to drink in this desert. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Look at that word. We saw that in Hebrews. But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, which is a good step, by the way. What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me because they're thirsty. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there at the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, there's those places, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, now look at this phrase, is the Lord among us or not? Holy cow. Masa means testing. Meribah means quarreling. So let's try to gather all this under one roof, starting here in Exodus, then working to the psalm and then into Hebrews. The book of Exodus is the story of God delivering His people. The sons of Abraham out of Egyptian slavery where they've been for 400 plus years and he's taking them out of Egypt and moving them back into the land that God had promised Abraham that his descendants would inherit back in that covenant he made in Genesis 15. They would inherit and inhabit this land by God's promise, hence the phrase promised land. At the beginning of the book of Exodus, 70 people had taken shelter in Egypt during the famine in Joseph's day. Okay, 70 members of the descendants of Jacob who had been renamed Israel, 70 of them, they come into Egypt, but then they start to multiply greatly and they fill the land. So then later, a couple of generations down the road, a new king came who didn't know who Joseph was or who these people were, and they said, hey, he says, we got to do something because there's a lot of them, and I really think if they wanted to, they could take the whole land over. So he puts these Hebrews, these descendants of Abraham, into slavery and even starts killing all the firstborn sons of the Hebrews in order to minimize their numbers and subjugate them. Now what follows in Exodus is the story of a guy named Moses, how he was born, he was a Hebrew, and he should have been killed as a firstborn, but he gets raised in Pharaoh's court because Pharaoh's daughter sees him in this basket in the Nile and she feels sorry. Oh, this must be one of the Hebrews' babies. I'll take him as one of mine. And he gets raised in Pharaoh's court, adopted as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Forty years goes by, 
He's seeing this Egyptian guy beating up on a Hebrew and he kills the, the Egyptian guy and he runs away to Midian because he's afraid that he's going to get beat up or killed or imprisoned for killing the Egyptian. He lives in Midian for 40 years. And then after 40 years, he's sent back by God to deliver God's people out of Egypt and into the promised land. And you want to talk about God showing Himself. Read the book of Exodus. We see it from the beginning there where the burning bush, God shows up in a bush and this bush is burning but it's not consumed. He's talking to Moses. That's pretty crazy. We see that in Exodus. Then we see ten plagues which even the Egyptian pagan magicians call the finger of God. Then we see the parting of the Red Sea. Then we see manna, this water from the rock. We see thunder and lightning and fire on top of a mountain. The law given directly to Moses. We see the tabernacle and provision and on and on and on and on. All through the book of Exodus. If ever there was a time that would produce great revival and purity and worship for the God of all this, it would have been in the Exodus. Even the pagans could clearly see God and His working in this time. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. But what's going on with God's people? How are they responding to these mighty acts of God? Well, in Exodus 17, the passage we just read about the water and the rock, how were the people acting? God, thank You so much for Your miraculous provision. No. It says they were quarreling and that they tested the Lord. In the midst of all of this, those are not favorable terms. And look there at Exodus 17, 7. And He called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord. And these people who had seen all this stuff are asking the question, is the Lord among us or not? Because I am thirsty. I am uncomfortable. I do not like this situation. Are you kidding me? God has just literally delivered a whole nation out of slavery by mighty acts of power. Like the crossing of the Red Sea is chapter 14. Chapter 15 is just a long song of praise to God for that Red Sea deliverance. Chapter 16 details the first coming of the manna, God miraculously bringing daily food from heaven, literally. That's chapter 16. And now chapter 17. And the people get thirsty. And they're like, is God even with us? Because things are hard now. God was with us back then, but He must have left us because I'm thirsty. What's going on here? How could this happen? These people are fresh from plundering the Egyptians, walking through the Red Sea on dry land is what the word actually says. They literally just started having DoorDash from heaven every day. (laughs) Food literally dropped from heaven into their camp six days a week. This just started happening. And now with a dry palate, they don't even know if God's among them. 
Well, as is usual, the best commentary on the Bible is what? It's the Bible. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 1-12. Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, talking to these people in the Exodus, were all under the cloud, the cloud of God that's during the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, and all passed through the sea, Red Sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock, capital R, rock, that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So this wasn't just water from a stone. This was Jesus providing for them. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. You know, they wanted water. But did they? Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We ain't going to get into that story today. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. We're not going to talk about that today either. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now watch. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Oh, it's easy to make fun of these guys. It's easy to make thirsty noises. It's easy to think that would never happen to me. I wouldn't do that. But now let's work backwards from 1 Corinthians to Exodus to Psalms and then back to Hebrews to try to finally tie all this together. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that we are to learn from the example of the grumblers and testers in Exodus 17 so that we aren't prideful and think that we could never be like them. He also urges us to not be like them, who all of them were under the cloud of God's presence, who all passed through the sea, who all were led by Moses and drank from the rock that is Christ and still did not see and enjoy God as they well should have, even in times of hardship and suffering. And why didn't they enjoy and rest in God? And here's the big deal. Because they're grumbling, they're testing their idolatry, their sexual immorality showed one thing. They were not God's people. Oh, there were many in the throng that marched out of Egypt who were not people of faith. Oh, their DNA made them physically the sons of Abraham. They could trace their heritage back to Abraham, their physical heritage, but they weren't God's people. Paul says in Romans 9, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. And so... The call through 1 Corinthians 10, through Exodus 17, through Psalm 95, and through Hebrews 3 is this. Listen, 
God's people won't act like these grumblers and, and, and won't act like these testers did, especially when they are suffering. Especially when they're going through times of testing themselves. Therefore, the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray where? In their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, in quoting the psalm, in quoting what the Holy Spirit said, and referring back to this Exodus passage, don't, do what they did. Don't be like them. And think again of the author of Hebrews writing to these Jewish Christians, keep the setting in mind, who are starting to feel the sting of early persecution. Early in their exodus from the world. Maybe early in their exodus from what had been the Jewish faith into the Christian faith. Early on, in their reliance on God, they hit a snag. They get a little bit thirsty, so to speak. And they may start to doubt. They may start to wonder, is God even among us? Maybe we should have not forsaken our Jewish ways. Maybe we were better back there. Maybe it was better back in Egypt. Maybe it was better when I was handling all this stuff myself and had all the stuff I wanted and things weren't this hard. Because this doesn't feel like God's even among us. That's where they were at. It's almost like the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, knew exactly what these people needed. Commentator Ray Stedman says this in light of their situation, quote, a relapse from Christianity into Judaism would be comparable to the action of the Israelites when they turned back in their hearts unto Egypt. It would not be a mere return to a position previously occupied, but a gesture of outright apostasy, a complete break with God. And the writer of Hebrews says to these recipients, don't do that. It's heavy for them, right? It's heavy for us too. And it should be heavy. It should be serious. If they are in a perilous situation that is testing the genuineness of their faith, it should call them to some serious action. Us too. Okay, so we could spend a ton more time here. We don't have it to spend. So we've got to ask ourselves the question then, so then what's the point? What, so why, why point is this? We didn't go word by word and verse by verse through that little passage there, but it brings us to what I think is the point here in verse 12. Hebrews 3.12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Now again, don't let that scare you. It's not the point. Oh no, what if I've got an evil unbelieving heart? It's not a bad question to ask. 
But this is a strong, strong warning passage, right? And again, there's lots going on here. Is it possible for any of the brothers to have in them an evil, unbelieving heart that would lead them to fall away from the living God? We said last week that a sign of being saved is persevering. And here in this verse, the writer addresses the brothers, the children of God, the brothers of Christ, and he tells them to take care. Now note that phrase. The word for take care is the Greek word blepo, which is just fun to say. Blepo. And it means to be vigilant, to be on the lookout, or to be careful. And what are they to take care for here? What are they to be vigilant about? We'll look at the descriptors before in a second. But they are to take care of and about their hearts. You see, it was the hearts of the Israelites that fell in the wilderness that was the problem. Look back at verses 7 to 11 that we read a couple times. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice... Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They always go astray in their heart. Don't harden your hearts. Their deeds only showed their hearts. Their quarreling and testing came from hearts that weren't content with God and His provisions. It was their heart that reacted to their physical thirst and turned it into grumbles. So the writer of Hebrews says to his brothers, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Check your heart! Is your heart where and how it should be? Because if not, listen, it's impossible to do what the Lord requires. And it's impossible to be content and rejoice in the person and work of that same Lord, especially when times get tough. It's all a heart issue. We want to clean up the outside of the cup. We want to make everybody look at and think, well, I'm doing all the right things. I'm saying all the right things. And Jesus said what? You whitewash the outside of the tomb, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Who's he talking to? The lost Pharisees who were claiming physical law as their hope for salvation. It's not rules of do's and don'ts. It's not a list of things you can and can't do. It is where is your heart? Check your heart. This is all a heart issue. And our hearts in and of themselves are, the Scripture says, well, not good in and of ourselves. Jeremiah 17, 5 and 10. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, 
He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes or thirst comes. For its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Whoa, that is monstrous. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The culture, the society says what? Follow your heart. That is terrible advice. You should do what you want to do. You should do what your heart tells you to do. What's your heart tell you, Anakin? I murdered them. Sorry, that's... And not just the men. Follow your heart. Well, the Scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. In and of ourselves, that's who we are in our heart. So do you see all the heart and deeds connections here? And do you see that we don't even really know how bad off our hearts are in and of themselves? They're deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Now thankfully... Praise God, God gives us new hearts when we're born again, which is the very heart of conversion, pun intended. In Jeremiah and Ezekiel, in discussing the new covenant, God says that He will remove the heart of stone out of His people and replace those hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. So as born again folk, we don't have to look hopelessly inside and see a hopeless situation, but instead we see the literal working of God Himself. And then that working works itself out from the inside and our works are attributed to whom? To God. Because He's the one who put the heart in there that wanted to do that thing. He's the one who wrote the law on that heart and then put that heart in there so that it would work itself out so that He would get the glory. But without that heart transplant from God, human beings are, in the words of God in Jeremiah, cursed. Trusting in and making flesh his strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. And this is what we saw in Exodus, as referenced in Psalm 95 and Hebrews 3. Most of those people walking under the cloud, most of those people that walked on dry land through the Red Sea, most of the people who received the law directly from God, didn't have new hearts. So when they got thirsty, when things got tough, God's not even here. Wow, because that's what their heart was telling them. So, brothers, take note of that, see that, and take care. Make sure your heart is right. Make sure your heart is a God-given, God-saturated, God-delighting, and God-empowered heart. Take care. Pay attention. Give special focus to this because it is not a big deal. It is the big deal. Literally, an eternal life or death type of deal. Because if you have an evil, unbelieving heart, it will lead you to fall away from the living God. And that, obviously, is undesirable to say the least. And while we can spend a ton more time here, again, we don't have it, we've got to move on and we'll cover one more verse before we wrap it up today. 
in light of what we just saw, verse 13 gives us an action we can take to guard our hearts in, in a very practical and congregational way. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So, take care of your heart and don't fall into the deceitfulness of sin, but instead, do this. Do what? But exhort one another every day, as long as, it is, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. As it turns out, praise God, it's not just an inside look that we need to take in order to keep ourselves in line with what the plan and the will of God is. We also need external motivation and external encouragement too. Think about those Israelites. Who started to grumble? I don't know, somebody. And somebody's like, yeah, you know what? They're right. So then they start to grumble. And their neighbor hears. And then somebody else. And all of a sudden, the whole congregation, grumble, 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 thirsty, 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 thirsty. Why? Because of the group. Because this is the pervasive nature of what's going on in the people's hearts and mouths around me. So, the writer of Hebrews says, instead of having a heart that produces grumbling, instead, but, exhort one another every day. Externally, work together and encourage each other. We do need external motivation. We do need external encouragement too. Why do you come here on Sunday mornings? Because you like the communion bread? I mean, it's good. That's the reason to be here. We need external motivation. We need encouragement. And wouldn't you just know it? God has a plan for that. This is one of the many one another's found in the New Testament. Depending on the translation, there are somewhere between 50 and 60 one another statements or commands in the New Testament. Please hear what I'm about to say. Christianity has never been and never will be, nor was it ever designed to be, an individual religion. Amen. You do not worship God better out in the woods by yourself. You cannot choose to stay home and watch church at home and be fine that way. Now there are cases, of course, where that's what you have to do. But if you have the choice between the two, being with the saints or watching the saints on a screen, the choice is clear. You should be with the people of God. And I'm not a Luddite. I'm, not, I'm thankful that we have the live stream and we have people right now who can't make it out. Praise God for the opportunity they have to be with us as much as they can. But if you're sitting at home and wondering, I don't know if I want to go today. I'll just watch it. According to the Bible itself, we need to be in each other's lives. We, as the church of Jesus, are the body of Christ and individual members of it. If your liver decides to stay home one day because it doesn't want to go out, uh-oh, 
Heart's tired. He's going to stay in bed today. I mean, it's silly, right? It's silly, right? We are living stones being built into a dwelling place together for the God of the universe. Listen to me. We need each other. And here, the writer of Hebrews says that we need each other so that we can exhort one another every day. That word exhort in the Greek is the word parakaleo. The Holy Spirit is called the helper, the comforter. That word is paraclete. So the word parakaleo has a built-in meaning of help or comfort, but it also implies an exhort, a strong, passionate imploring to that help. It's like saying a kind, encouraging word and then adding a little kick in the pants with it. It's results-driven. In order to get a response or action, that's what it means to exhort. And these early Jewish believers, and we, are to do this with and for each other every day. Every day. We need exhorted. We need move to action and response every day of our lives. So no, you can't even just come to church on Sundays or even Sundays and Wednesdays and be alright in the Christian life. I checked the box. I did what I needed to do. No, you need much more than that. We need each other every single day. We have to be sharing life. We have to be intertwined, interconnected, and exhorting each other every day as long as it is called today. That's kind of like the now thing we always talk about, right? It's always now. It's always today. You are not alive yesterday. You may not be alive tomorrow. Right now, here, today, we're here, right? And as long as it's called today, as long as it is now, and it always is, we need to exhort one another. Why? that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now please, please, please don't miss that. We need to be with one another. We need to exhort one another every day that's called today so that we don't, as individuals and as a corporate body, get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Pretty easy to figure out what sin is, right? Sin sin is anything contrary to the holiness or glory of God. It's anything not from faith in God. And sin is not just an isolated incident. It's an ongoing battle, right? We, We fight sin on a consistent basis. Like every day, right? Every day that's called today, we're fighting sin or being kicked around by it if you're not fighting it. And unaddressed sin, if you don't address your sin consistently, that has residual effects. Both on the one who commits the sin and those who are around that sin. And that's all of us, by the way. According to the writer of Hebrews, sin is deceitful and it hardens people. Sin makes us believe things that aren't true. Amen? Here's here's a good sin lie. Oh, it's fine. It's no big deal. I deserve this. These are all lies that sin tells us. Here's a good one. 
Those people don't really love me. And sin makes us believe those things. Our sin, the sin of other people, sin in general. We are, all of us, prone to believe untruths, especially when we're walking in sin. Because it deceives us and it hardens us. And I think the clear implication here from the context of all that we've seen today is that it hardens our hearts. And a hard heart is not receptive to the truth of God or the truth spoken by God's people. And a hard heart is not compassionate, but is conversely selfish and accusatory. And the more we sin and the more we are around sin, the harder we are prone to become in our hearts and therefore through the rest of our lives. So what's the answer? We need to exhort one another. Every day. As long as it's called today. To keep us from this deceit and this hardness. Let me tell you what, when you start to see people withdrawing, when you start to see people not around as much as they used to be, and they start to say things, well, it's okay if I don't go to church. And I'm not just picking on church attendance, okay? But these are the lies that we hear. These are the lies that we tell ourselves. But when you start to see that, well, I just didn't feel like it today. That's all right. I deserve some rest. I work hard. That's what happens. And here's the problem. That person is getting hardened. We're also getting hardened toward them. We need each other. And we need to exhort one another as long as it's called today. Why? So that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I'm going to wrap it up, guys. Again, I do not in any way, shape, or form feel like I did this justice. And I'm not looking for compliments there. It's just too much. So we'll revisit it in October, October 8th, I think. And then move on through. But today we'll turn our attention to application. And I've got, I had like eight application points. You're welcome. I've parried it down to four. Three's normal, four's like exceptional. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, four C's for application today corporate, cares, plural, C A R E S. The third application point is care, C A R E, singular, and cardiac. You know where I'm going. Corporate cares, care, and cardiac. That's just fun to say. First application point. What should you do differently? How should you live in light of the truth that we've seen today in the Word of God? First application point is corporate. We need each other as the church of Jesus Christ. This ain't no me and Jesus got our own thing going and we don't need nobody to tell us what it's all about kind of deal. I love Tom T. Hall and he is dead wrong. We are to be engaged with, we are to be engaged by, and we are to be engaged for each other. You do not exist in isolation. You exist as part of the body of Christ. And that means locally, here in the local congregation, and universally, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Little C Catholic, not Roman Catholic. The universal church. We are part of the church 
the followers and believers of Jesus worldwide. And later in Hebrews, the writer is going to say, suffer with those who are in prison as if you were there with them yourself. Why? Because we're part of one another and we need one another. It's not, it's not like I'll try to imagine that. It's just the truth. If one of us suffers, we all suffer. Anybody got a pinky toe? Matter of fact, you know what? I guess most... Don't tell me if you don't, okay? Because I don't want that <laughs> thought in my head. How often do you think about your pinky toe? When you hit it on the side of the table when you start thinking about it. Now it's there helping you keep balance and stuff, I guess. I don't know. I've never dealt without mine. But man, you start to think about it when it's hurting. We need each other in the corporate body and maybe you're just a pinky toe. You're like, thanks for that picture, right? <laughs> but it's true. We are supposed to be engaged with, by, and for you, especially when one member suffers. We are really supposed to engage with, by, and for those people who are suffering. Because we need each other. And I won't list them all. I won't give the references, but I want to share some of the one another's in the New Testament. These are commands. Honor one another, greet one another, welcome one another, show hospitality to one another, have fellowship with one another, agree with one another, live in harmony with one another, wash one another's feet, there's that pinky toe thing again, be kind to one another, forgive one another, and of course, over and over and over and over again, love one another. And that's just a few of them. There is no Christianity outside of the called out assembly. There is no Christianity without the church. Am I saying you can't be saved if you don't attend church? That's not what I'm saying. But your heart is getting harder. And you're getting less receptive to the truth. And you're running your own way. And you're not being encouraged. You're not being strengthened every day as long as it's called a day. And you're in a dangerous place. It's the sheep that's out by himself that's really in trouble. The wolf loves that guy. Well, I can listen to podcasts. The wolf loves that guy. So that's corporate. Next is cares. Oh, the cares of life. Anybody not have any cares of life? Anybody living a carefree life? Listen to me. I, I wish I had a staff that I could lean over on here. Okay? <laughs> I would seem like an old wise man. <laughs> Listen to me. Life's hard. It's hard. Bad things are going to happen. Hard things are going to come. Now, I'm not saying there's no good. There's a lot of good. He's given us all things to enjoy. But life is hard. Bad and worrisome things happen. And if you're not careful, believer, if you're not careful, church, these cares can make you start to wonder if God is even among you or not. Nothing like the cares of life to divert your attention from the goodness of God. So the question I would ask there is, are we just in this whole deal for ease and comfort? And manna and water from the rock? Or are we in this for the glory of God? Because if you're in it for the glory of God, the cares will push you to Him, not away from Him. 
We are tempted to want God to miraculously take all of our cares away. But I've seen too much. I've talked to too many people and that's not how this thing works. You're like, but it really helped me believe in God if He'd work miracles and make everything right. Didn't work for the Israelites. Because if anybody should have ever never doubted for a second, it should have been them. And most of their corpses were buried in the desert. Because they didn't believe. Jesus. Matthew 13 explaining the parables of the seed of the seed that was sown among thorns. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And that word, which is good seed, proves unfruitful. You want to talk about something that'll choke the word, the cares of this world, the cares of the things going on around us. Get your eyes focused on the cares of the world and you will become unfruitful. So then what do we do with our cares? Y'all know the answer to this, right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties, or the New King James says cares, on Him because He cares for you. Don't act like they're not there. Don't act like you shouldn't have them. Run to Jesus with them. Jesus, I am burdened with doubt. I am burdened with fear. I am burdened with anger. I am burdened with all these things. And I'm not running from you with them. I'm bringing them to you. And again, we talked about this when we went through 1 Peter. Casting means yeeting. I mean throwing them. I mean aggressively. Here! Here! I don't want this! Take it, please! And Jesus is an athlete. He throws everything you... He catches everything you throw at him. No mamby pamby meal mouth Jesus. Jesus is like... <laughs> I don't mean that irreverent. It's true. There's nothing you can throw at Him that He's not going to receive and take from you. Nothing! As far as your cares go. Why? Oh my goodness, church. Because He cares for you. Well, if He cared for me, He'd take it away. That's not what the Scripture says. Scripture says run to Him with it and cast it because He cares for you. He's like, I'm going to pick it up again tomorrow. We'll throw it at Him again. That's what we're supposed to do with our cares. Corporate cares. Care. Now, take care, the writer said. Take care, brothers. Pay attention. Give special attention to what? Heart, but that's the last application point. The application point for care is I would say care. Cast all your cares upon Him, but doggone it, be people who care about things. Who are concerned with things. We can bury our head in the sand. I just won't deal with none of it. That's not the Christian life either. Care for others. Be compassionate for others. In our passage today, care for your own heart. Pay special attention to. And this caring is not fear. This statement just jumped out to me. 
There is a concern and a care that leads to action that is not fear. I'm not like, oh, God's going to zap me so I better be good. It's like, God, I care and I want to do the right thing. That's not fear. That's reverence and awe in a fear mindset. But it's not, oh, God's going to get me if I don't do the right thing. It's like, I care and I want to do the right thing. And instead of using fear to motivate people, what if we just care? The commands of the Bible are there to be obeyed. Not feared that not keeping them will result in you losing God's favor. Care. Care for things. Care about things. Care for your heart. Remember Hebrews 2.1? Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. That's caring. And then back in 2 Peter, this amazing passage, for this very reason, make every effort, care about, take care to, supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love, and once more twice. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Take care to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Care. Take care. And what is it that we are to take care of as of first importance. Corporate cares, care, and finally cardiac. Guard your heart. Take care that you don't lose your heart. That you don't get hardened in your heart. Now what is your heart? The heart is the seat of emotions. The heart of cognition and decision making. And here's the question. What are you allowing into your heart? The teachings, the things of the world? The teachings and the things of God? We talked in here Wednesday night about setting our minds on things that are above where Christ is. Not on things that are on the earth. Let me tell you what, who you're around, what you're around, what you're letting into you is all going into your heart. And oddly enough, not your cardiac heart. Your spiritual heart. And what goes into your heart is going to come out of it. The wise writer of Proverbs said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. This is the big deal. This is the big story today. Take care to guard your heart. What's in your heart? What do you treasure? What do you love? What do you pursue? Jesus says either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. It is the state of your heart that determines your deeds and your actions. And thank God. Here's that new covenant we talked about in Ezekiel 36. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart 
and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. That means it's gone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now don't miss that. This heart work that we're talking about is primarily God's work. So you submit yourself to Him. You don't try to make your heart better. You run to God and say, make my heart better. You go, as the psalmist did, and say, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, God, the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. When I say do the heart work today, take it to God. Take it to Jesus. And trust in Him. Rejoice in Him. And believe that what He's doing is for His glory and for our good and for the good of other people. So that my heart is right before Him. And listen, if your heart is right, you will not fall away. And He does that work. So trust Him to do it. Go to Him every day. Encourage one another. As long as it's called today, exhort one another. How's your heart? How can I pray for you? What can I pour into your heart today? Take your cares to Him. Care about the things He cares about. Exhort one another in a corporate mindset and lifestyle. And in so doing, guard your hearts. And you will not be disappointed. He will not be disappointed. And you will not fall away. You will not grumble. You will not put Him to the test. It's all His work. Let's pray. Father, help us to know what it means to have new hearts. Help us to operate with this heart of flesh that you have placed in us, knowing that the heart of stone is removed. Sprinkle us again, God, with clean water. Uphold us by your Spirit with a right spirit so that we might do the deeds that show that what is issuing forth from us is issuing forth from a clean heart, a tender heart, receptive to your will, to your ways, to your word, to your people to your plan. And God, again, this is not an exhortation to try harder to do better. This is an exhortation to run to Jesus. And maybe somebody within the sound of my voice has not ran to Jesus that first time, knowing that they need forgiveness for their sins, and we all do. Would you, Holy Spirit, breathe life, speak life, that they might be born again see the need for forgiveness and see the greatness of the sacrifice of Jesus as having accomplished that forgiveness, pouring out His blood because He loves us that much. And may they place their faith in Him. And may we all, every day, place our faith in Him to the praise of Your glorious grace. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed, but stay in